So what is sound doctrine? That's really the question that I want to present to you this morning. What is sound doctrine? I think some of you might have an idea what sound doctrine is. Is that a fair assessment? Is that a fair guess? I've already upset one member in the church. <laughs> and I haven't even started. Wait till you get to the end of this thing. So what is sound doctrine? Somebody give me an answer, because I want you to participate in this for a couple of minutes. I have this beautiful whiteboard here. I have a marker in my hand. I'm going to write on it. It's hieroglyphics. You won't be able to read any of it, but it'll be cool, and I'll feel good about doing it. Brother Brian. Received text translation. Received text translation. And I'm not even sure what you're talking about, but I believe you. All right, what else? What is sound doctrine? Don't be afraid. This is, this is open. What? God's commands. And how many are there? What's the greatest command? All your heart, soul, mind, strength. Second is? And Jesus said a new command, what? I give to you that thou shalt what? It's all right. You got it. Love. The new command is love. You figure that one out yet? Good for you. We got one guy that did. What other things come to your mind when you think sound doctrine? It's not a trick question. Jesus' teachings. teachings. All right. What else? What else? You say dividing the word of truth? Rightly dividing. I got, all right. All right. What else? Yeah, I can't write all that, but I believe you. <laughs> Our best understanding of the Word of God. All right. One faith. One baptism. One hope. One Lord. Sound familiar? Am I quoting somebody? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Sound doctrine based on the Bible sound doctrine let's look at Paul's definition because he actually has one speak thou the things which become sound doctrine I purposefully put that in there praise God that's King James translation amen I put that there for a reason because it's written in a way that probably expresses this as well as anything that I want us to recognize in this sermon this morning. Speak the things which become sound doctrine. Now we just have a list here of things that we determined are sound doctrine. Right translation, commanding of God's word, Jesus is one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all is through all in all, above all. You know that, right? Well, what is sound doctrine? See, all of those are kind of how we apply and think about what sound doctrine is. But do you realize that Paul answers his own question here? And it's not what you think it is. As a matter of fact, it really doesn't reflect much of this 
at all except when I asked the question, what is the greatest command? It was love because what he's going to talk about here in the next couple of verses is enlightening and may give us some perspective on how we might want to choose to live in the world. You know, in the world of Christianity, if I may be so broad as to use that expression, in the world of Christianity, there are lots and lots of different doctrines, aren't there? There are at least three about virtually any topic that you want to put out. You name the topic, there are at least three or four or five or seven different interpretations, translations, all kinds of different ways to look at things. Is that not true? Yes. But it's interesting to me, when I look at this passage that Paul relates for us, what his definition of sound doctrine is. Because it isn't really, truthfully, it's not even what translation. Because he spoke in Greek. And very few of us speak that language today. Fewer of us read it, truthfully. Not many of us read this stuff. Matter of fact, nobody even speaks the Koine Greek in which the Bible was written, or at least most of it. It's not about, sound doctrine oftentimes boils down to where we start fussing and fighting and fuming about how does a church do church? Is that reasonable? There are at least three different ways to do church in the world. Salvation is another conversation. We seem to have different interpretations. Paul's definition doesn't go there. It just doesn't go there. So what does he say? Well, to the older men, this is what I say. Be temperate and worthy of respect and self-controlled and sound in faith and sound in love and in endurance. Does that sound like this? In a way, no. If you interpret this, maybe yes. But not really. And it doesn't stop there. Because he doesn't just deal with the older men in the church. He deals with the women as well. He asks you to live reverent lives, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine. Maybe emphasis on much. But to teach what is good. Does that sound like this? He doesn't stop there. He talks to younger men. He asks us to be self-controlled. You notice I use us. You notice that pronoun? I'm not old yet. He asks us to be good and self-controlled and to show integrity. To have seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Does that sound like this? To the slaves. Now let me explain this word slave. The Greek word what? Anybody know it? Doulos. Slave. Indebted servitude. Bond servant. 
In our world, it's called an employee. Okay? Because that's kind of what we are. I mean, just try not going to work tomorrow. For those of us who are gainfully employed and who still get a paycheck, uh, you know, try not going to work and see how long that works out for you. Well, when you go to work, when you show up on your job, even if you own the company, how about behaving this way? Be subject to your master or your boss or your supervisor, however you would like to interpret that. Try to please them. Don't talk back to them. Do not steal from them, but show that you can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God and your Savior attractive to them. How about working that way on the job? Does that sound like this? He's not done. To all people, say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. Wait for the blessed hope of Christ. Be eager to do what is good. Any comparisons? Well, what would happen if our church became obsessed with Paul's definition of sound doctrine? Many of us here in this room have read the Bible from cover to cover many, many times. Many of us have read the New Testament many, many, many times. I know that there's a place for proper interpretation of what the Bible says. I'm not disclaiming that at all. But I want you to think with me for just a couple more minutes about where we spend much of our time, historically and even perhaps today, where do we spend our time when it comes to truly trying to live within the boundaries of what sound doctrine is? Because I'm, I'm just here to tell you, my experience in the churches, and I don't mean just in this church, I'm talking about churches in general, most churches that I become acquainted with, whether they're in our fellowship or even outside, they're more concerned with how they do things in their church than they are with helping people understand how to live like this. You, you understand what I'm saying? Virtually any church that you and I go into, all of us, Regardless of the name on the door, all of us seem to have the impression that this is the right place and you should be here. And I know that there are some places they don't teach the proper interpretation of God's Word. I get all of that. But I'm just curious, how compelling is that? When we're trying to reach into a world who frankly could care less about who Jesus is. I shared an experience with Charlotte and Chris this morning about Something that's happened to me this week. It's very interesting. Last Saturday evening, a week ago yesterday, our son, Tom, got married. You guys remember me sharing that picture with you. So I posted this on Facebook. I have a personal Facebook page. I rarely ever post anything. But I have this page. And, and I put that picture out there. And like 150-something people 
extended their congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations, Ed. We're so happy for you. The couple are beautiful. And on and on the accolades went. And it was amazing. It was truly amazing that so many people love my family enough to express their, I almost said condolences, express their, <laughs> their congratulations. Their congratulations to my son and his wife, who are now in Italy somewhere, and they're living it up for a week or two in the honeymoon. And I was absolutely amazed at how many people responded to the picture of my son and his wife, because it was a beautiful picture. And then I sent this little questionnaire out, and I sent it just a generic, I sent this out, I said, I'm curious. I'm curious how many of you have seen the postings that I do week after week that have a link to the sermon that I share on Sunday morning. And do you know that probably 80% of the people who responded to that question said, I have never seen a posting of your sermon. That tells me a couple of things. Either they can't read, they don't care, or, or what it really tells me is, it's all rigged. And Facebook doesn't like me sharing sermons. They don't like me posting stuff about Jesus. And I don't even know who Mark Zuckerberg is. I mean, I know his picture, but I don't know him as an individual. I don't know what his faith base is, if he even has faith in anything. I don't know anything about the guy. But I know that company, for whatever reason, has chosen to not broadcast the stuff that I put out there. Now, I'm inclined to believe they don't post it and they don't broadcast it because they're not that excited about that message getting out there in the world. Now, if I posted another picture of my son and his wedding, or better yet, if I show... Oh, I have this cool picture. Wait a minute. Let me show you. I got to show you this one. I wish I'd had them put it on the screen, but I forgot. I had this really, really cool picture. And I know you can't really see it well, but I'll blow it up a little bit. This is my son's dog. This is a 135-pound American Altasian, which I have no idea what Altasian means, but this is a special breed of dog. It's got some wolf in it. It's got some German Shepherd. It's got Eskimo Husky. It's got some wild, crazy stuff in it, but this lady has bred this dog to be more gentle than a cat. It doesn't even bark. It does other things we'll not talk about. Because <laughs> it's a big dog. If I put this on Facebook, I would get hundreds of responses to my dog. I won't get 12 to a sermon that I put up that Chris is going to put online tomorrow because he always does it on Monday and it's available Monday night or Tuesday for me to go put it on my personal. It'll, 12 people won't see it. Let me tell you a secret. If Facebook is doing that to me, guess what the rest of the world is thinking about? Anything but Jesus. Because frankly, the world doesn't care about Jesus. The world doesn't care who God is because they're not even sure there is a God. They don't even know what Jesus is about. So I just wonder if Paul was on to something when he teaches in this letter that sound doctrine, healthy living, healthy teaching, healthy instruction in the churches, guys, this is how you live. He even went so far. Look, check this out. Paul even went so far. No, I don't want to go there. 
I don't want to do standing on the promise. I want to go back to my PowerPoint. Did I go the wrong way? Yeah. Let's try this one more time. Yes. He even, Paul even goes so far to say that we should do things in such a way that it will make the teaching of God our Savior attractive. You know what attracts people to you? Your definition of salvation or baptism does not. Just let me just put that out there. People don't care. But what they are attracted to is your kindness and your love and your concern for them. Because frankly, they don't care about being saved until you show them the love of Jesus. And they don't care about what salvation is until you and I express our lives in a way that is that is worth them even being around you. But we have spent generations arguing about when is a person saved? Is it before baptism? Is it in baptism? Is it after baptism? And I'm not putting this all down. I'm just wanting you to understand it's the wrong conversation. Because nobody cares about that unless they know that you love them first. And then, you know what's amazing to me in the New Testament in the first 150, 200 years? Do you know how many debates there were about when is a person saved? Virtually zero. There weren't any debates about it. You want to know why? Because it was just an accepted thing that when you became in love with Jesus, when you became in love with the people of the church, you just did what they said to do. And you know what they said to do? Be baptized. How hard is that? I mean, seriously, how hard is that? But because of how we've messed stuff up for however many hundreds and hundreds of years in the world of Christianity, in the name of Christ, we have to go through this whole thing and try to help people understand, no, this is when. No, 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 no. Just love them enough so that when it is time, they will say, like somebody I remember reading about. What must I do to be saved? I think that's in the Bible. I think that's a legitimate question that somebody asks in the Bible after another person cared enough for them to spend a little time with them. Sound doctrine is not about instrumental music or not. Sound doctrine is not about sprinkling or immersion. Sound doctrine is not about acapella music, six songs in a row, or a song of prayer, two songs, another prayer, the Lord's Supper, and the sermon. You get what I'm saying? And all of those have their place. They have their place. There's a right way to interpret all of that stuff. But the real sound doctrine that we need to take into the world is us who are living in such a way that people are attracted to God because of who we are and what we are and what we stand for and how we love people. I was talking to Shell, his lovely wife, who always match when they come to church. I don't know who selects their clothes, Shell. I know you don't. But they always look beautiful when they come to church. I was chatting with them before, and he asked me, he said, Ed, he said, you said you used to be full-time in... In, in South County, what, what's different now? And what's different now is I, I work on Sunday here. I preach on Sunday. But I have this day job. 
And he said, What's, what was different about that? And I, said, I said, you know, I said, the difference between what I was doing when I was in San Clemente with the church there is every day of the week, Monday through Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, I was in the community getting acquainted with people about the church. Do you understand what I just said? I don't live here. I live in another place. But we all have the opportunity, wherever we go, to share Jesus. So I was telling them about meeting this gal, Sabrina. I met her at a meeting on a Friday morning. It's a little neighborhood mixer thing at some place called, I forget the name of it, some big banquet room over in Murrieta. So I show up, and there's like 150 people, and I'm just mixing and mingling, and I meet this gal named Sabrina, and she works for State Farm, and her husband's with her, and his name is March. Now, how do you forget a name like that? March. He's in the Marine Corps. <laughs> he probably should have been in the Army, because they march more in the Army than they do in the Marine Corps. Yes? But he's not so much. Yeah. Okay. Air Force, they don't even know how to spell March, right? So anyway, I meet this guy, March. He designed the whole recruiting system that the recruiters use who are in the Marine Corps who recruits guys. And so I said, well, are, are you still in? He said, yeah, I've been 18 years. He said, I'm going to work two more years and retire. I said, why don't you do 30? He's like, are you crazy? <clears throat> I see her on Friday. I don't see her again. haven't talked to her. I see her the next Thursday. And I recognize her. And I speak to her. And I call her by name. And she was blown away. And I ask her this question. Sabrina, how's March doing? That's what she did. She just, she didn't, she sneezed, she didn't really sneeze, but she was like, you remember his name? I was like, yeah. Because it was important to me to remember her name. And I know some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, Ed, but you've been meeting people all your life and you just remember names. Yeah, on purpose. Can you believe it? It's on purpose. Do you realize that you can do the same thing? You can do the same thing. Sound doctrine is about how we live in the community. It is how we conduct ourselves. It is loving. It is caring. It is sharing. It is giving our lives away in such a way that it actually, it actually will cause the message of God to be attractive. So, what would happen if these qualities of life became our real call for sound doctrine? And what would happen if we as a church collectively left this building and this week purposefully went out and everywhere we went, we purposefully had on our hearts and minds to serve people in a way that would show them the love of Christ. Not to be less concerned about someone becoming a saved individual and being baptized, but to understand that there are first things first. There are first things first. People need to see our hearts. They need to see how much we care for them. What would happen if our church practiced real sound doctrine? That's what I leave with you. We're going to sing this song. I don't know how to get the PowerPoint to go forward. But we're going to sing a song. Brandon's going to come lead us. And as we sing this song, I invite you 
to consider your life and how you are living and even how you are standing on these promises of God. Can we go and be a church that truly lives Paul's definition of what sound doctrine looks like and sounds like and feels like to those who are around us? I challenge you to be a church that loves people regardless of who they are and love them wherever they are for who they are and let them see Jesus living in you. Let's stand and encourage one another.